everybody. Welcome back to Defenders Dialogue with Carr and Adam. You know, we haven't said it in a while. It's the Internet's only podcast about Marvel's 1970s non-team. Although, are they as non-team as they used to be? Good question. Yeah. They're getting a little more conventional these days as we move into the mid-40s. Yeah, we're on episode 23, which I'm calling Red Raja, Red Raja, send the defenders on over. (laughs) (laughs) I'm down with that. Yeah, we start with Defenders 44. But wait, first, I'm Adam Phillips, president of Untold Stories Marketing. And my partner here is... Cardi Angelo, owner of Earth 2 Comics in Sherman Oaks in Northridge, California. Yes. I guess before we start, I have a couple of things to mention, a couple of little notes, and one weird observation that we can discuss. And I'm hearing these for the first time. Yes. Prepare to be shocked. (laughs) (laughs) On the Marvel character wiki, it says that Solar was a latent mutant whose powers were triggered by spending that time in the desert. It's still dumb. But at least there's a little bit more to it than just he got powers from being in the desert. And I'm sure that is from, I mean, I don't know how many appearances Solar made. I don't really remember him beyond that issue. But if he appeared again, I'm sure it was something where someone just, you know, made that. That's like just the default excuse. If someone has a really bad origin, it's it's whatever it was triggered their latent powers. Right. (laughs) It's still kind of lame. I mean, it's not like he got his own miniseries after, you know, House of M and No More Mutants. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, and then Solar wakes up and he, he doesn't, he just has a really bad sunburn and no solar powers anymore. Yeah. Okay. The second thing, this is a correction on the footnotiest footnote to the TRS-80 Computer WizKids conversation. Oh my God, I thought we were done with them. I, apparently not. They keep things keep happening. So last, the gift that keeps on giving, in, in more ways than one. Because last time around, we were talking about how they changed the names to the Tandy Computer Whiz Kids, and they said, "Yeah, Radio Shack. All their electronics were under the name Tandy." And then I realized, no, they weren't. Tandy was the computer line, but their stereo equipment was under the name Realistic. So I correct myself. There you go. Do you know how I know this most of all? How? The first stereo equipment I ever had, like, I had like a tape recorder before this, but when I was 12 years old, I got a realistic all-in-one stereo where it was like a turntable, a radio receiver, and a cassette deck, and then two little speakers that, you know, weren't attached to the main unit. Right. So, cost 100 bucks. Wow, that, which was a lot. Yeah, I think I saved all summer for it or something from mowing a few lawns and things. Between one college year and returning to college is when I when I saved up and bought components for the first time. Uh, yeah, I did similar things when I was like 17, you know, saved up from whatever job I had and uh, bought all those little units. The one thing I have to say about Radio Shack, okay. where as a kid, it was kind of a fun place to go. As yeah. an adult, I never was more annoyed than going in to buy batteries and they were like, 
I need your social security number and I need your oh home address. And yeah. I'm like, I just want to buy that. Please let me buy batteries and go home. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a member of the club. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now here's the last thing. And this is interesting to me in a weird way. Issue 41 of the Defenders, the last Steve Gerber issue, was all about Trish Starr, right? Yes. Issue 42 is all about her uncle Egghead. How weird is that? It is weird, and it and then it they bring in that idea that like Luke Cage is mad because I just met Trish Star for the first time, and here here you are, her stupid uncle coming after us. But yeah. it's it's like there, but it's not there at all. No, it's true, and they completely, you know, in the Egghead issue, they completely ducked the whole relationship to the Defenders, even though he's a Defenders villain and was brought back for that obvious reason. I don't think at any time in the issue did he say. And now I'm going to get my revenge on those damn defenders. It was just like, it sort of happened, you know, without anything. Well, it wasn't revenge, but he was using, he he thought Dr. Strange, it was still just kind of random. He just thought Dr. Strange had the the crystal or whatever. Yes. The star of Kapistan. The star of Kapistan. Yes. And here I thought Errol Flynn was the star of Capistan, <laughs> but I'm thinking of some other movie. Yes, I thought it was the Swallows were the stars of Capistrano. No way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, anyway. And then I was thinking, what, like, if you were, let's suppose for a minute that you were in Jerry Conway's shoes and you were going to write that issue, what Defenders villain would have been better to bring back as a reminder of the core values or whatever of the Defenders? You know, Zemnu. I thought Zemnu, but the thing with Zemnu is he doesn't no. need sidekicks. And right. like to me, the the whole sidekicks thing was a way to kind of tie the defenders more tightly into the Marvel universe. Yeah, I mean, and it seemed to be a holdover too of that idea of again, maybe on some level, you know, this is me wildly speculating again, but did somehow the Plant Man covers do better because it was a more typical type of villain um you know is it or is it just or is it just editorial thinking that these are a superhero team they should be fighting a team of 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 super villains but how else would you accomplish that i don't know because of Uh you know you're not going to do nebulon again because that was steve gerber's thing right that all got wrapped up i mean there's so many things that got and a lot of the early villains were just real throwaways you know it's nobody really wants to see the return of the guy with the big rat right yeah, no, you can't, and you can't do something like Grandmaster. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, that was a, its own storyline, and the and the Guardians was time travel. So there really isn't like a. I mean, Egghead. I think he was looking at Egghead as kind of the ultimate villain, but I mean, Egghead <laughs> really kind of fumbled. Nobody's ever said his, that before. <laughs> yeah, that that issue was was not a shining moment for Egghead. Uh, you know, the giant size issue where he kind of comes in has no. a stupid revenge plot that literally you know blows up in his face yeah right so it feels like egghead might have been the only option maybe but i don't know it's interesting i would have gone for i would have found uh omni uh what was the 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 um omegatron lives right sure that could have been but again i think the idea was somebody who could use some sidekicks so omega you could write that into omegatron Megatron is frozen. He sends out brainwaves to to pick certain villains that he needs to to get back at the Defenders. I, like I don't know that there was really anything. I mean, that's sort of what was missing in the Defenders, except the way Steve Gerber did it is he had it all happen in the same epic. 
but you know by creating the arch enemies and then dismissing with the arch enemies in the one big giant storyline but yeah they, they they didn't have that kind of set up and thankfully he didn't do the undying ones so we we have to be grateful for that <laughs> do we yeah. oh come on i miss the undying ones and 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 magneto is definitely off limits at this point yes. because of the success of uh, uncanny x-men right yeah i agree he was, he was untouchable <laughs> he wasn't in that story was he we, um what in uncanny x-men you just the untouchable Oh, oh he, no, I, no I mean, he wasn't. That would Wait, was he? I think he was. Was he? I don't remember. Blob was. The Blob and was. The Blob hard to touch. <laughs> yeah. Can't touch that. And uh, Lorelei. I'm not sure. All right. Anyway, Defenders 44 uh, has a February cover date, and it went on sale November 16, 1976, or coming down to the end of 76. Bicentennial year over. This issue has a cover by Jack Kirby and Al Milgram. It's an interesting cover. The Hulk, Nighthawk, and Luke Cage are all lying on the ground, struggling to get up. And the Hulk is sort of facing forward, and Nighthawk and Luke Cage are facing back. You know, we can see their faces, all of them, but they're just in different directions. And they're surrounded by the crackling energy that is coming off of the hands of the Red Raja, who's in the foreground and standing up. And, you know, it's kind of a basic cover it's not super dynamic or anything but it tells you the story oh totally and it says the defenders is the logo obviously the defenders helpless before the strangest power of all and then at, <laughs> at the bottom of the cover it says revealed this issue the secret of the red raja and it, the, the couple of things yeah. i mean i don't think it's an i think you were saying you know kirby probably was working off of model sheets but the way he drew it's not really exactly the Red Raja's costume as it is in the comics. Oh, yeah. and, and, and and the coloring is also off because I think the Red Raja has gloves. Yeah. And um uh we're seeing sort of we're seeing skin tone, but I, again I think you know it it's he kind of designed the cover with the with the Red Raja's back to us that it was sort of like he's 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 going, I can draw the Hulk. I'm not sure I can draw the Red Raja <laughs> as recognizably. You know. I'm sure you're right, but I also think probably, like I've said before, Maurice Everin did a sketch that showed these exact positions, and you know Kirby just sort of took it from there and rendered it. Okay. But anyway, this issue, plotted by Jerry Conway, who's also the editor, dialogue by Roger Slifer and David Kraft, and art by uh, Keith Giffen and Klaus Janson. Hooray. And Again, it's it's the whole question, you know, one always asks is, is this considered a Jerry Conway plot because it continues from, because there's things in this issue that made me feel this was already different than the previous two issues yeah, I, that we, I agree. We'll, 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 we'll get to shortly. Yeah. So I do wonder if, while he may have given a broad plot, once Kraft and... Slifer and Giffen, you know, and Giffen is, you know, ultimately proven himself as a very, you know, talent, multi-talented. I mean, you know, he's been a writer, mm -hmm. he's been an artist. So, so when you have a guy like that drawing your plot, he can really choose what he's going to put into it or not. So it does make me feel that maybe there might've been a plot that was the basic structure, uh -huh. but as they went along, knowing who's going to script it, Giffen, uh, might have gone, oh, let's, you know. 
you know, it's any there's any number of possibilities here. I mean, one thing is Conway could have had an idea of what the plot was going to be. He told it to Roger Slifer and or Dave Kraft, and they fleshed it out into a full plot and made a few adjustments along the way. Right, but he still wanted the the story credit. Yeah, of course. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, and I don't even know how things were built. I mean, was there really a, especially if you're an editor, I mean, it really is one of those interesting things of how, you know, I mean, of course, this raises up the whole argument. We were talking about some of these types of things last night uh, with various folks, yeah. but, you know, raises the whole issue of what is what is writing a comic book, especially when it's in this plot art script style. Right. And and also from an employment point of view, you know, where different publishers at different times have had policies about editors writing and being freelance, et cetera, uh-huh. you're, you know, get, you're doing assignments. What does it mean if you were an editor of a book and you did the plot? Is there a plot price, you know, fee that you get a voucher for, you know, or is it is it Tradition. that was part of the job? Uh-huh. And then, you know, because otherwise Roger and David, if they have to share money with jerry for the plot they're kind of like they're already there and then splitting it you know they're they're, they're not a lot left over i agree with you there but no generally you know you do get pl- paid separately for the plot versus the full script right. so i don't know it's hard to say yeah no i get no it's all i mean i guess you know that 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 was the system at the time uh-huh. and you you were paid on staff as an editor and then you were also paid you know for write, writing that you did separately yeah Right. All good questions that will not be answered, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, the story's called Rage of the Rajah. And uh, we start with a splash page where the Hulk's on a rampage. And um, he's Hulk smashing his way through Doctor Strange's place. And he's sort of knocking Luke Cage out of the way and into a wall that's sort of getting smashed up. Because, you know, Luke Cage is strong enough to smash up a wall uh, as he exits. So, and Hulk is saying, Hulk will not be stopped. Magician is hiding from Hulk. So he, he's determined to find the magician and he's going to keep looking and stuff like that. And well, it's, it's still that question of where in the world is Dr. Strange? Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. Hopefully we'll find out. I, I, I worry. <laughs> he seems very determined to find Dr. Strange. So then Nighthawk flies in and grabs Hulk and says, you got to stop trashing this place i may be filthy rich even i could go broke trying to you know clean up after you essentially and i was thinking by the way how many times has dr strange's home been halfway destroyed in this series right oh yeah the answer is a lot (laughs) but don't you think it's like kind of a magical house that like just automatically rebuilds itself except for that one time when the defenders came back from somewhere and there were like a couple of guys fixing a window Oh, right. After what well, was after Bambi? Yeah, yes, after Bambi that's right. Bambi smashed out of the window and Wong didn't think to use magic to fix it. <laughs> anyway, Nighthawk's, you know, continuing to argue with the Hulk. You got to listen to reason. Lettuce lips. He calls them lettuce lips. <laughs> and the, the nicknames are flying here because Hulk is call, saying nobody's going to tell Hulk what to do. I'm paraphrasing. Not bird nose, not fuzzy hair. No one. So fuzzy hair is Luke Cage and uh, yes. all that. It's great. And Valkyrie comes in, still in her traditional costume, and sort of says, Hulk, I get that you're upset, but you got to let us have a chance to actually look 
instead of smashing us because we if you smash us up we can't help you and he goes all right and he you know kind of calms down for a minute he still looks pretty pissed but he's still he's calmer at least and nighthawk and luke cage can't believe that somehow hulk listens to valkyrie when she wouldn't listen to them and that's one of the moments i was talking about i thought there's a lot of characterization in that little bit like laying groundwork for giving Valkyrie something meaningful to do in the Defenders, which is sort of be the Hulk whisperer. <laughs> and um, I was just going to say that. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. Oh, please. I just, I just thought it was funny. You know, we had the exact same thought, the Hulk whisperer. <laughs> it's, you know, it's there. It's there. I thought you were cutting to the, I, I jumped in because I thought you were cutting to the next Oh, I scene. was going to, but then as you're oh, okay. saying it. But, anyway. <laughs> but and, and that's a kind of like just casual characterization that was always part of, you know, that, yeah. I think up until that point was in Defenders, except for the all-out action, you know, Cobalt Man, you know, extravaganza. (laughs) No, it's true. There's a lot more characterization in these issues, and it's just a lot more going on. Yeah. A lot more to, you know, dig your teeth into. Uh, So anyway, elsewhere in the building, (laughs) Red Guardian's getting off the phone with the Russian embassy, and somehow she didn't notice all the smashing and bashing coming from downstairs while she was on her call. But she's saying that... Magically soundproof room. Oh, that's probably it. She's saying that the people from the State Department in Russia are basically making veiled threats against her family or whatever to ensure that she's going to return to Russia eventually. And um, Hulk and Valkyrie enter and say... And Hulk's saying, we need to make a plan. Because Valkyrie said something about, like, we need a plan. We can't just go... Crashing around is not going to help anybody to find Stephen. We need to make a plan. So Hulk's really fixated on this plan business. He's like, let's make that plan now. First we find Magician. Yeah. And uh, this is really a great moment here where Red Guardian is just learning that Stephen is missing. Valkyrie says, yeah, he went somewhere to see someone named Homer Karin, Kari, Karin, uh, I couldn't think of, she can't think of the name. And Red, Red Guardian says, Omar Karindu? Then she gets to sort of say, yes, Omar Karindu, expert in paranormal sciences. In Soviet Union, paranormal <laughs> sciences study you. No, but <laughs> uh, she, does, she does explain how, you know, they treat that kind of thing more seriously in Soviet Union. Okay, sure. And was that true in any kind of way? I mean, in the, you know, I, I kind of feel like I've seen it in movies, maybe, you know, the idea that like they're, you know, t- doing all sorts of crazy research that we wouldn't acknowledge. I seem to recall hearing that more about the Germans in World War II than the Russians yes. any other time. I mean, it's a, it's a nice piece of fiction. And I don't if, if there's any reality behind it, I sure have never heard it. Well, just because she says on an official level. So that's why I was trying to think, you know, No, I hear you. I can't place it from 1976. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, yeah. I mean, we, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about when, with some, you know, knowledge from that era, like, uh, you know, the plight of Soviet Jews and, uh, yes, and concerns about nuclear energy and stuff like that. But this one, uh, I don't know. Is is that oh that first shot where she's talking about Omar Karindu and and um, paranormal science? Right. It looks like. We're seeing the Hulk and Valkyrie in a reflection oh, yeah. in, a, in a in a mirror. Huh, you're right, and it, it's kind of interesting. Except what threw me off is is it's a it's not the right reflection because of of, of Valkyrie's 
hair is still oh. hanging over the same eye. <laughs> well, maybe there's two mirrors. It's true, but, maybe. but you know <laughs> it's a reflection of a reflection. Yeah, right. But that's really cool, regardless, because it's sort of the frame of the mirror sort of sets up the panel border between the two halves of the image. So that's actually pretty cool. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to be even more that, but it's it's definitely because is there a I mean the 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 word balloons are covering it. Maybe it is meant more to be a panel within a panel, but yes, it's it's definitely that kind of thing you wind up seeing a lot in in Keith Giffen and again following Starlin and others. We talked about you know where you're giving borders to frames or or looking for interesting ways to frame these dialogue scenes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so Red Guardian is explaining how she doesn't feel like she can really run off and help find Stephen right now because her superiors from the USSR are demanding her to decide when she's going back, I guess. And Valkyrie wants to hear more about that. But Hulk's like, we got to find the magician. (laughs) So the other defenders also arrive in that room and say, yeah, we're going to go off and look for him and talk to Omar Carindo and see what's going on. <laughs> Red Guardian wishes them luck. This is a funny moment. Hulk is behind Luke Cage and puts his hands on Luke's shoulders and shakes him a little and says, sorry, I almost killed you. <laughs> Buddy. With a big smile on his face. It's like, all right. And he's actually glad. He seems glad that Luke is coming to help find Dr. Strange and, Luke says, how can I turn on, down an offer like that? And Nighthawk points out, you're on the payroll. You can't. <laughs> right. And they're about to leave when who should arrive but Jack Norris. Woo! Yeah, he's back, baby. And he's got... Best character in comics. Some, something new going on here. And uh, Nighthawk immediately says, didn't I give you a whole pile of money to get lost? I can't, you know, don't blame me. if You wasted all of it attempting to be a secret agent. And Jack's like, no, I just want to talk to uh, Valkyrie for a minute and then I'll get out of your hair again. (laughs) So he says, this is my last visit and my last appeal, Valkyrie. And he says, you know, he's made all these mistakes and he knows that, you know, you're not Barbara, but I still love you and I want you to. And she cuts him off and says, like, you know, that woman is no more. Stop trying to make me over like Kim Novak in Vertigo. And... um, she really dismisses him this time, and she's and he's like, "Fine, I'm getting out of here. It would have been nice to get to know you, but never mind." But something else is going on because he leaves and he's walking down the sidewalk, and then he sees a shadowy figure, and he turns around and says, "You, what do you want from me? I don't want. I told you I don't want anything more to do with you. Leave me alone." And he runs away. So it's a new mystery for Jack. It is a new mystery. I'm, you know, structurally, I'm surprised that it didn't just end that wasn't the last panel of the page that we didn't yeah. switch to another scene because it really, I mean, the, the, again, the format so much has been, you know, you do something like this and it's its own page, you know? Yes. And then, but we're going to revisit that another day. It also makes it easier if you're ever doing a reprint, you could just take that page out if you don't need it. That's true. The other interesting thing is it's kind of like we had the mysterious guy back when, when he was, the, when Jack Norris was, wasn't Jack Norris yep. the mysterious he, guy? Yes, once? he was one shadowy. He was one shadowy himself, and now he has another shadowy figure you know, chasing him. I honestly, even though I know what stories are coming up yeah. in a broad sense, I've got like some, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for you, for me. I honestly don't remember who specifically this is, though I have a couple guesses. Yeah, neither do I. But it's not the elf. It's not the elf. 
<laughs> but I think at the time I was hoping it was <laughs> the owl. That would have been a shorter <laughs> shadow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who it is. But that's fine. I, I can wait and see. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. And then, yes, okay, this page has three, four, five, six, seven, eight panels on it, and seven of them are about Jack and Mysterious Figure, and then the eighth one is Nighthawk, Hulk, and Luke Cage arriving at the Hotel Americana. Nighthawk's flying, Hulk's jumping with Luke Cage, oh, you know, riding piggyback, or not piggyback, on shoulders, and... right. Shoving this panel onto the page is, is not great, but what are you going to do? So they arrive, and the villains from last time are just being taken away. So they've got the rhino on a like a gurney with you know some kind of uh, things across him to keep him from moving or whatever, and Solar's like in a deep freeze bin. Um, right. There anyway, and then. They're sort of talking about like how the cops are handling all this and somebody who's smoking a cigarette. Oh, they say that they're not even sure he's breathing. And somebody says, it's, yeah, he's breathing. It's Lieutenant Chris Keating, who's a new character who I think becomes sort of a supporting character for a while. Yeah. And he kind of looks like Telly Savalas with gray hair. I mean, he re- that's exactly what it feels like in the, you know, in a cigarette instead of a lollipop. Yeah. Yeah. It really looks like Telly. So let's, let's not, you know, and apparently Lieutenant Chris Keating has a special weapons and task force. That's, I don't know. I don't know who, if he's with the police or I guess he must be. Yeah. I think he's like supposed to be more like a, a, a New York police yeah. SWAT division that deals with, with supervillains. Right. Which is a fun idea. And then they borrow and they get equipment loaned to them from Shield. Yes. So the three defenders tell him that, you know, we're here to see Omar Carindo. And he's, he's Lieutenant Chris Keating says, Carindo figures. All right, follow me. So for some reason, he's leading them into the hotel to find uh, Omar Carindo. And man, there's a lot of dialogue on the next page, but, you know, they're, they're kind of filling in a lot of blanks about who this guy All is. All right. Carindo. Was staying at the hotel yes. where the Red Raja appeared and there was the whole big fight. Yeah. Corindo's saying, like, we don't have time to mess around. The entire planet's in danger. And Nighthawk says something about, like, you know, I've heard that kind of thing before from Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> and Omar Corindo says, oh, you're not Doctor Strange. Well, in that case, let me fill you in. And Corindo is saying, like, I may have accidentally doomed Doctor Strange. And Hulk immediately grabs him and starts threatening him and uh Corindo manages to say I wasn't trying to hurt him it just sort of happened because of this uh stupid star of Kapistan Kapistan what's the Kapistan national anthem oh I don't know <laughs> when this that's what I was saying when the swallows return to Capistano um then we cut back to Valkyrie and Red Guardian talking about the you know her her troubles with the uh Soviet Union and the government wanting her to go back. I would never forsake my homeland. There's something more to it than that. And Valkyrie's saying, don't forget, you got friends. We can help you. And uh, suddenly a voice says, oh, wow, are you the vibrant Valkyrie? We turn the page to see it's it's Hellcat, which... Patsy Walker. Patsy Walker. You may recall last time they said there was going to be a startling, unexpected new defender. 
Oh, that's right. And here she is. Startling, isn't she? I thought it was going to be Submariner. <laughs> that would be a startling old event, a defender. <laughs> okay. But no, he refused to join. <laughs> well, that's not very startling then. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, you know, she just sort of came in through the bathroom window, I guess, here, because she's just like in the room. And and is, the blue thing that she's leaning on, is that just supposed to be some sort of some, artifact? Yeah, that's what I think. There's a lot of artifacts. And she needs to see Doctor Strange. Where is he? Well, he's been missing since last night. And she says, then I may already be too late. And the, if I am, the Earth is doomed. So she starts to explain how she was with the Avengers. And then she left with Moondragon to start getting trained by Moondragon in the um, use of her mental powers that I guess she has. <laughs> and... She's sort of explaining how she didn't get trained very long before she had to come back because of these problems and this message. And frankly, it's like all not very clear about what the awesome danger is. It's, it's really not clear. Yeah. And and if this was sort of plotted by Jerry Conway, the weirdest part of it is the idea that Steve Englehart sets it up way back in Amazing Adventures starring the Beast oh, that's to bring back Patsy Walker yeah. into the Marvel Universe the Marvel superhero universe uh -huh. and then pays it off when she insists on, you know, tagging along with, with, with Hank McCoy. Cause she's caught up in the whole rocks on yep. conflict. That was an amazing and adventures. It, that was an amazing adventures. And then, but that also carried over then into when the beast joins the Avengers Oh yeah, and it becomes the whole squadron Supreme squadron sinister, whichever squadron it was. And uh, and her husband is is now you know part of Roxxon, right? And so and is putting on the the crown of the serpent, the serpent crown. Yeah. And um, and she finds the 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 claws of the cat costume and adopts the identity of Hellcat. And then Steve Englehart gets sort of pushed out of Avengers the same way Steve Gerber kind of got pushed out yes. of Defenders, and he wrote this ending for Patsy Walker Hellcat to go with Moondragon sort of so to take them out of the membership or Jerry Conway wrote that yeah. because he took over the storyline where they did a new Avengers lineup because he was taking over Avengers. Oh, that's right. But now immediately <laughs> it's reversed and she doesn't go with Moondragon. I mean, she didn't need to go with Moondragon if it was just going to be a little bit later, she comes down and goes, oops, I'm here with a warning. <laughs> right. And, and at the bottom of the page, it's been like a page and a half of her talking about her history and Red Guardian says, you know, this is all very interesting, but you still haven't told me the nature of this danger. And if you could just spell that, and then she sees something shocking out the window. Look, the people in the street. And Hellcat says, oh, it's begun already. What? It's the curse of the ruby. So everyone's freaked out, and they're becoming zombies. And they're all, you know, looking down on the street. We see a whole bunch of people kind of walking mindlessly with blank eyes. Right, it's it's funny because you almost think it's going to be a subplot, right? Like that that there's this other danger, but no, the danger that she's arrived for is is the danger that we're dealing with right now. Yes, why even Wong is among them? They say. <laughs> I, I don't know if that really was supposed to be Wong, or they just happen to say, "Hey, there's a bald guy. Let's make him Wong," <laughs> in the uh, dialogue, you know. So the three of them decide they're going to team up to uh, stop the perpetrator of this, and. Hellcat says, what a thrill. I'm going to action with the warrior women of the Defender, or warrior woman of the Defenders, but I don't know who you are, Red. She meets Red Guardian, 
And then we cut back to Omar Carindo, who's explaining the whole thing about the star of Kapistan and it's sentient and it's got a lot of power and it can take over people and make them over into the red Raja. But in the past, it's only it had non-superpowered bodies to work with until now, because the red Raja is Dr. Strange. Who could have seen that coming? I guess. I, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it's one of those things where you feel like such a kind of bungled reveal. It, it, it's, it's going on so long, but then you're not getting a visual with it. Right. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, by the way, oh, did I tell you? It's Doctor Strange. Or did you already know that? Did you figure that out three pages ago when everyone else did? Yeah. <laughs> Where's he been? <laughs> right. It, it, it didn't seem terribly mysterious, but, you know, okay. And, you know, even the, even the defenders are on the next page are going like, Luke Cage is going like, wait a second. So he's an evildoer. Why did he put the kibosh on the rhino and solar? And, you know, Omar Carindo cannot answer because he, like a lot of the other people, are now getting zombified and are sort of wandering out of the building. Somehow the, the, the three defenders have been spared in this uh, widening effect of the star of Kapistan. Right. So they run out, the three guys run outside and see this big red glow over uh, Central Park. And that seems to be where everyone's headed. So they fly slash jump to Central Park where they see that, you know, it's like this big glowing pinkish reddish area. And they see the Red Raja standing on this sort of altar. And Luke Cage says, look, we found Dr. Strange. And Hulk says, that doesn't look like Dr. Strange. Will you stop it? (laughs) And Red Raja is spouting a lot of sort of double talk at the growing crowd, you know, Forget the many contradictory pulls of conscious thought. Relinquish the responsibility for the consequences of your self-made actions. Sounds a bit like what Nebulon was saying a couple of issues ago. Yeah, that's when I remember reading this the first time, you know, in 1976 or whatever, and sort of going, why? Yeah, this is just someone who's taking over the minds of the masses. I mean, boil down to its essence. It's not a new plot. No, not very. That's true. You know, fortunately, it doesn't go on very long. And so he's explaining how he's going to rebuild the whole world according to the will of the Red Raja. And the three defenders attack, but he blasts Nighthawk out of the air and then Hulk lands behind him and he smashes the Hulk who goes flying. Luke Cage gets pulled down by the crowd itself and the three of them are being suspended in air in like stasis field kind of things by the Red Raja, and he's saying how, you know, this is the futility of egocentric action. The era of individual, the individual is over. And then from off panel, we hear somebody says, Maloney! (laughs) (laughs) And he turns around and sees that it's Valkyrie, Red Guardian, and Hellcat, who is undoubtedly the one who said Maloney. (laughs) And this is the end of the issue. The three of them are ready to go into battle. Awesome. Next, Defender versus Defender for the fate of the Earth. All right. Looks great. Man, great, great looking issue. I didn't even have any quibbles like I did last time. Um, they're, they're, I just think it looks terrific all the way through. Oh, yeah. The art is really coming together. I mean, Keith Giffen is is having a good time, and, and Klaus Jansen is making everything look very pretty. Yes. I was looking at, on Marvel Unlimited today, I was flipping through. Oh, there was like an issue of Marvel Preview 
magazine that had the uh, very early Giffen effort, the star, the sword and the star, or something like that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And I couldn't believe looking at it how much he got from Steranko. I mean, that's a, a year or two before this, but the, the layouts were so Steranko. It was amazing. He assimilates. Yeah, he does. You know, he assimilates styles in a way. I mean, because I, I think he's too good an artist, you know, to say, oh, he's just like swiping or you know copying. Agreed. But you know, and even in this, the the Moon Dragon flashback is done in a kind of part. You know, some of the things are Starlin. Yeah. You know, references where you sort of see these that the, I mean, I can't even describe the effect of you know, the, the the silhouette of a face, the 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 highlights of a face and eyes and nose, like right. over a cosmic scene. You know, like you know, Captain Marvel's cosmic awareness. Yeah, it's sort of a posterizing um, effect. Uh, they call that. Yeah. Then I know what you mean though. It's it's like this is really some pretty great conceptual ways of uh, showing these these effects. You know. So okay, Defenders forty five. March cover date, and it went on sale December 14th, 1976. Uh, the cover's by Kirby and Joe Sinnott, although it looks like a little bit on Hulk's face and Valkyrie's face when Mita retouched them, but really just a little. It might even be just Joe Sinnott, you know. Eh, he doesn't really ink women's faces like that, though, does he? In the foreground, Valkyrie has just taken a whack at the Hulk's chest with her sword, and then in the background, up in the sky, Nighthawk's flying toward Hellcat, who's jumping down on him. And Red Guardian is swinging down toward Luke Cage and throwing something that's bouncing off his chest. It looks like, oh, it's her little belt buckle thingy that she throws. Oh, okay. You don't see that very often. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it says the Defenders, divided we duel. And that's the whole thing. It's a nice cover. You know, there's fighting. <laughs> It, it it sells it. Sells it. Sells it. Yeah. Okay, so different credits this time because it says Jerry Conway plot, but Archie Goodwin is now the editor. Dave Kraft and Roger Schleifer are doing the dialogue, and I don't know if whether I should take anything from the fact that their names are in the reverse order of what they were last issue, like maybe Dave Kraft did more of the work this time. I don't know. And still Keith Giffen and Klaus Jansen artwork. And the uh, title of the story comes straight from the Valkyrie's mouth. Prepare for battle, my fellow females, for dot, dot, dot. Here's the title. We must free the defenders. <laughs> All right. Well, I like a good shouted story title. I always like when somebody says the title. It's kind of fun. And you know what I'm noticing just looking at this page right now, speaking, going back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, by the way, Giffen assimilated different influences here and also in the last issue too uh, hellcat looks a lot, almost like she was drawn by perez like the surface sheen of yes. her mask are, is very perez yes so for what that's worth so yeah we basically start where we left off last issue the three women defenders now are getting ready to go into battle against and and free their fellow defenders oh and i forgot very important at the very bottom of the splash page a little caption dedicated to Neil, Getty, and Alex of Rush. Yes, and what is I mean, is the is We Must Free the Defenders a Rush song or something? Or no, it's not. I mean, I don't know that Rush is over very well, but Oeuvre? Oeuvre, I can't talk French <laughs> uh, very well. But I don't think there's a song like that. I think it's just the general Dave Kraft starting to think about how he can use the influence Work. of of various bands to help plot his stories. 
Yeah, but it definitely had me like looking for something. Is there some kind of concept or something in here that he inspired by a line of you know from a, a lyric? I don't think it's that specific. Yeah, I mean they did stuff that had plots, but not comic booky plots. You know, Rush did songs with plots. Not plots, but I mean, like there were albums that were sort of conceptual in terms of science fiction concepts, I think. Right. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I bet that's my recollection, you know. Anyway, the next page, the Red Raja is sort of moving forward toward these women. The three defenders are unconscious on the ground. There's a big crowd around them. And the three women rush forward. Red Raja waves his hands mystically. He's even making the Doctor Strange hand gestures in like Kirby dots. And suddenly, <laughs> I saw, I just noticed something. So suddenly the ground starts shaking and the three women are thrown. And did you notice the uh, sound effect there? Oh, Dakum. Dakum. Yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> David Anthony Kraft Coom. <laughs> right. Man, this is so awesome. On the next page, the ground has like erupted into a giant stone monolith of Doctor Strange who's threatening them. It's be- And Red Guardian says, it's become a gigantic earthen image of Doctor Strange. Yeah, I, I love dialogue like that, which actually describes the thing we're looking at yes. at the moment. I, they may have worried that you wouldn't have gotten it. It's so subtle. It, it, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, it's, it's a rock with a mustache on it. Yes. But it, it's also this really bad rhyme that doesn't have the quite... No, the meter's off. The meter's off. Truth is false and logic lost. Obey the Raja. He seeks universal peace at any cost. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a good, it's a, it's so funny. It's like it wouldn't have been hard to get that right, but they didn't, or avoid it entirely since it's the only place where any rhyming happens. <laughs> I think, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Hellcat says, "Back off, Boogaloo!" To Big Doctor <laughs> Strange. Shout out to Ringo Starr. Mid-70s. I was going to say, why doesn't Ringo Starr get a dedication? He should. A <laughs> piece of love. Um, and then the Red Raja uses his ruby power to take over the mind of Red Guardian. And now she's, you know, controlled by him while the other two are still fighting the Doctor Strange monster. And even Valkyrie's starting to say, this is out of control. We got to back off and make a better battle plan, right? And then they notice that Red Guardian is being controlled by the Red Raja. So Hellcat dives into action, uh, tackles Red Guardian, and breaks her free from control of Red Raja. And he's calling them, he's calling her, you know, insolent female upstart and all this stuff. And I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna get you back any minute now. And then, you know, they're running away at the moment while he's blasting away at them. And then they see a whole bunch of women coming toward them. Sorry, actually, it's a mixed crowd. And they seem to be unaffected by the Red Raja. And the people in the crowd are saying, you know, did you have a run-in with the Red Raja? Yeah, you know, we did. But a lot of the students who are disappearing from campus and people were getting controlled by him or whatever. And we're going to, we've gotten all this, these people who aren't controlled together to try to take care of him. But, and Valkyrie says, that's all, that's great. You're very courageous. Now, please go get yourself somewhere safe so you don't get hurt. So those, they, they kind of go walking back, 
the other way. And then we cut to, in another weird, like, let's just use the last little bit of a page or something else, a car chase on the New Jersey Turnpike where a black Jaguar is speeding along the expressway driven by Jack Norris, and he's being followed, and he thought he lost them, but no, there's a car following him. Who is it? We still don't know. And they're zigging and zagging in and out of traffic, and actually this next page that's all just like full page of car chase is pretty great. There's like an overhead shot of how they're going in and out of traffic, and then tight close-ups of the fenders of the two cars banging into each other, and then Jack's car crashes, and he's thrown free. Don't worry. It's okay. Safety belts. Who needs them? And he's driving a um, a custom Jaguar. Custom, yes. So that that's where a lot of that three hundred thousand dollars went. Clearly, <laughs> he really needed the Jaguar to accomplish well, for the secret the agent. Se- I guess yeah. you know for the for the character he was he was playing. And the guys chasing him are going. It, it, there, there's there's more than one in the car. He cut us off, firing an energy burst. But we were ordered not to harm him. So they're working. So. Where the other guy he recognized in the alleyway, these are two guys who work for someone else. Yeah, yeah, right. And I love the shot of jumping over the fence. And that looks kind of yeah. Steranko-y to me. I don't know if that's like an homage to a, I feel like there's a famous like Nick yeah. Fury jumping over a fence or something. Yeah, hey, I don't know. Looks a little Rich Buckler to me, to tell you the truth. But <laughs> that could be just because Jansen's thinking it, because he ain't a lot yes. of early... Buckler, Buckler stories. Uh, yeah, so we go back to the park where the Red Raja's followers are carrying the defenders and they put them, the defenders down in front of the Red Raja and Red Raja says, Hulk, your friends are evil and you must discipline them. Red Raja says, strike! And Hulk very sort of unemotionally just waves his two arms and smashes Luke Cage and Nighthawk in the faces with his elbows, basically and knocks them ass over tea kettle, as we like to say. <laughs> and Red Roger says, great job. You didn't even kill them. I like it. So then we see that the three female defenders have ended up back at Dr. Strange's place, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And Valkyrie's asking why the Red Guardian fell under Red Roger's spell, and we did not. And <laughs> Hellcat's basis immediately says, Maybe it's her communist mentality, which I thought was hilarious. She's still talking about her ex-husband. What's his name? Patsy Walker's ex. We don't know all this stuff. We have Buzz Baxter. Buzz Baxter. Oh, my God. Yes. Because that was originally like an Archie comic. So, yeah. So her boyfriend, her, yep. you know, he's probably the captain of the high school football team or something. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great. And I, I really like this moment where Valkyrie is like chastising Hellcat. Please refrain from making absurd judgments based on nationality. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, and again, I also like this where we're giving Valkyrie, there's something, I mean, it was there in other issues and by other writers, but that idea that, that Valkyrie has not necessarily an innocence, but a, a higher view of justice and certain virtues in a way. Uh-huh. She seems to have some sort of pure view of the world or, 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 or she wants people to aspire to something higher than their base instincts. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, Red Guardian comes back in. For some reason, she's now wearing her top with like a bare midriff. (laughs) I guess it got kind of shredded in battle or something and also no sleeves. 
I thought it's because you know her, her she didn't she lost her belt, so everything <laughs> fell down. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, but yeah, the sleeves are torn off. Yeah, yeah. so it's yeah something happened. They're all theorizing about why some people are getting controlled by Red Raja and some are not, and they decide, you know what, we need some sorcery help here. I'm gonna go find Clea, says Valkyrie, and she walks upstairs, seemingly I guess upstairs to find Clea. And I don't know why, but I love this panel of Valkyrie sort of entering the room where Clea is meditating, trying to find her way to where Stephen is. Mm-hmm. It's just a really cool panel with crazy colors. Yeah, and, and Clea's there. She's doing the Doctor Strange thing, floating and meditating. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because you've got kind of the Ditko design, but mixed with, like, the Kirby yeah. dots. You yeah. Know? So it's, it's kind of a, a mixture of styles. Yeah. Anyway, she calls, Valkyrie calls out to her. She comes out of her trance. And she says, you know what I figured out, Valkyrie? Stephen actually is the Red Raja. Dun, 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 dun. So then we come back to the park. Oh, right, because they don't know yet, because they weren't there yes. for that exposition. Right. They so don't. I'm like, why do we have to say that again? Oh, we have to tell the other people who weren't there. Yes. Okay. We go back to the park where the Red Raja is still making a speech about the psychic serenity of the single spirit throughout the entire world. It's basically talking about, you know, everyone sort of sharing the same brain. Yes. And then the 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 three women defenders plus Clea now are coming back to fight again. <laughs> it worked so well the first time. This time Red Raja sends the three male defenders to fight them. And Valkyrie tries to talk Luke Cage into casting off the spell of his militant mysticism and Luke says, but he's preaching peace and you're the ones fighting it. <laughs> and Hulk is running at Hellcat, who, of course, is agile enough to leap out of the way. And then Nighthawk is, uh, you know, fighting Red Guardian, who says, I like you better as a capitalist, Nighthawk. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Clea has sort of snuck up behind Red Raja and is using her powers to make mystic contact with the mind of Steven within there as much as she can. You know, the, the the defenders who keep fighting each other will, meanwhile, it's sort of a psychic effort of Clea and Doctor Strange against the consciousness of the Star of Kapistan that's making the Red Raja entity appear. And there's some really cool color holds of um, Doctor Strange and Clea in sort of outline form in the next page or two as they're fighting, you know, this mental battle. And uh, yeah, the, bat- the fight goes on. It's not terribly interesting although it's nicely drawn yeah there's the fight i mean it's this is such a rushed kind of you know ending there's a fight that doesn't have to be and then she's you know she's contacting him mystically and you know kind of saving the day yeah and hellcat's just like making you know kooky comments about the you know i gotta get out of the way before i become pulping boots uh yeah (laughs) and then finally dr strange and clea free him from the clutches of the jewel. And as he's like, his, his form is sort of exiting and turning back to normal. He zaps the star of Kapistan and destroys it. And all the people who were entranced by the star of Kapistan are free, free now, free. And the male defenders are apologizing the female defenders. And they're all going like, and the women are all going like, it's fine. You weren't yourself, blah, blah, blah. It's uh, pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah, and you know, like no consequences. Like, oh, this, this, 
well, you, you met a, a gem that allowed you to be possessed and become evil and trying to take over the world, but, eh, you know, you broke it, so that's good. These things happen. <laughs> I mean, even Clea saying, I don't know how anyone with your depth of experience and power could be taken by surprise by this jewel. And he says, oh, you know, it could happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the last page, man, this is such a beautiful page. It's a one page epilogue. And it says it starts with the word epilogue that takes up like the entire top tier of where panels would be. And the word epilogue, each letter is like an open form with showing like the insides of Dr. Strange's wrecked house through it, you know, which is right. a very Serenko-esque effect. Oh, totally. And Dr. Strange, you know, is sort of talking to the rest of the team and saying, and Nighthawk saying, you've been moping around since we got back. If it's the damage to your place, Hulk is sorry he hurt Magician's house. And Dr. Strange says, no, it's not that. But I think it's time for me to leave the Defenders because... I'm too much of a liability. He, he doesn't quite say that, but, you know. And, yeah. Next, the end of the Defenders. Oh, no. I know. What are we going to do after that? Um, we can start that TRSAD computer whiz kids <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I noticed this last panel. I just noticed this very second. That's a very Gene Colan-looking Doctor Strange. Yes, yes. And, and Jansen Inc. Yep. Colin, I mean, it does, you know, it's, and again, who knows? I don't know that they would, you know, uh, crib something from, you know, begin. Like I say, I just think it's that style, but it looks, it almost does look like, like, uh, yeah, you know, like a, a Colin. I mean, it's almost a photographic. It's really, yeah, it's know, beautiful. beautiful. And actually, one of the things that to me is like a trademark of Doctor Strange drawn by Colin is the super wide cowl yes. on the cape. It's like right. four feet wide. It's it's making those stylistic choices. Like if you yeah. wanted to look like if you want to draw Batman that looks like Todd McFarlane, you do that right. crazy long twisty cape. You yes. Know? Yeah. Or Kelly Jones, um, you give him three foot tall ears. Exactly. Yeah. You just you know you borrow the you borrow the the thing. Yeah. Well, there you go. A couple. If you have a couple minutes, of course. A couple letter column points. Yes. In in issue forty four, again, it feels like there's this weird sabotage against Gerber because it actually there's an editor's note that says you know that owing to a most unfortunate series of events <laughs> the bulk of comments criticisms and witticisms applying to Defenders 41 Gerber's last issue was misplaced what <laughs> so it's sort of like we're not even going to run a tribute page to, to of you know people talking about his, his, his last issue wow that sucks you know, it's like, anyway, we have some other letters here we can run. But there is the explanation here. There was that letter column with, with, with Steve Gerber leaving, and it seemed it was really harsh on Steve Gerber. It says here that Steve Gerber wrote that himself. Huh. Okay. You know, where, where it was like, everybody's tired of Steve's craziness, so it's a good thing he's going. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a letter where the response is, you know, well, you know, what's going to happen, especially if Steve Gerber's gone? How are we going to get all these subplots? And it talks about David Kraft, who I guess, uh, even though he's only half dialoguing these issues, it must be seemingly that he's going to be sort of more the creative force going forward, which he which he does become. Yes. And it's just, you know, talking about, you know, some of the, the, the changes. But it makes the promise that the Elf subplot will be concluded in issue 46. 
Really? So we'll be talking about that next time. Wow, that's coming right up. Yeah. I didn't remember like they promised to spin. There's an earlier no. issue where they did say by issue 50 that Jerry Conway wanted to wrap it up by issue 50. Uh-huh. Um, but that they're saying 46. I mean, and I'm sure they must be just getting too many letters and they just want to. Um, it's possible. It's also possible that, you know, Conway just really disliked the, the elf thing and was just like, just get this done. It's completely out of left field and doesn't fit and blah, blah. You know, that's what I think possibly. And you're hoping for, you know, this big story that will explain this this odd odd creature so yes i remember you know may at the time you're making that mental note of like okay great i can i can wait a few months or i can wait a couple months for this right right interesting all right that's all i got what else is there to say what else indeed i i'm looking forward to what's coming up soon it's getting starting to get interesting it's already you know like you said earlier like there's so much more characterization in this it's not all as well thought out and, and smoothly written or whatever as, as it will be, but it's still a lot better than the last couple of issues. Well, you do get the feeling of a, cu- a couple of upstarts trying to have more fun with this yeah. kind of standard plot they were given. So it does feel like, you know, everybody's trying to you know push it forward and have some, uh, I mean, I looked up the thing about rush uh-huh. and what it is. It says that, I know we said we were about to say goodbye. No, no, no. The, I'm glad the, to hear this though. But, it, but I, I, I did pull this up. It says that this story is loosely based on 2012, which was their current. Oh um, uh, yeah. And more so on Ayn Rand's Anthem, which I guess is again where some of the the some of it uh, comes from. But that whole philosophy, you know, that I guess is, is some of this there. And it says the it scatters a few Rush-inspired lines, such as "truth is false and ah, logic lost." That stuff. And become and become one with the brotherhood of man. There you go. Okay. So there are specific lifts, and then this, then and then I thought they were going to do more specific notes, and then no, they simply reprinted, you know, a photocopy of the entire issue on a Rush fan page. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, along the way, these guys are having a lot of fun, and you know, the giant-sized stone. Doctor Strange and things like that, or, or it didn't have to be there, but the, I'm glad that it was. Yeah, that's a, you know, a cool thing. And you know what I really can't wait for is when we get to the ringer. <laughs> sorry, I'm, flip, I'm flipping ahead a little. Yeah, that that's that, that that is that's a fun issue. Yeah, can lunatic be far behind? No, he cannot. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I think until next time, let's all say. Defenders Dissemble. Hooray. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Superheroes. The Marvel superheroes have arrived.